Luis Diaz was in jail for 26 years, falsely accused of being the Bird Road rapist in South Florida who struck his victims from 1977 to 1979. Finally, DNA evidence proved that Lewis was innocent, so he was released in 2005 after spending all that time in jail. The description that came from each of the victims of the rapist was that the rapist was six foot two or taller, 200 pounds, an English-speaking Latin male with a green car. Diaz was five foot three, weighed 134 pounds and could not speak any English at the time of his arrest. But a victim had seen Diaz at a a gas station with his green Chevy vehicle. And so she called the police and accused him of the crime. Even though there was no physical evidence found at all, and the real rapist had taken personal items from each of his victims and even used his car for two of the rapes, there were over 14, So there should have been some evidence in the green car, but there wasn't one hair, one thread. But because some of the victims had identified Diaz as the rapist, a jury convicted him of multiple, and he would receive multiple life sentences. Two of those victims in 1993 recanted their charge against Diaz. And in 2005, the DNA evidence proved it was not him. They had... uh, Excellent DNA evidence from two of the crimes that both matched the same person, but was clearly not Diaz. But perception, actually, in our world is stronger than reality. And so false accusations can have disastrous effects. We're going to meet a group today that falsely accuse God. Turn your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. Most people never want to take responsibility and ownership for their sin. seems like that's human nature. People are always looking for someone else to blame. People who do not love or know God blame him, or they try to erase God entirely and then blame society for all their problems. The Holy Spirit works against our natural tendencies to shift blame when he convicts us individually of our sin. And so we have a choice at that point. We can submit to the conviction of the Word of God or of the Holy Spirit of God and repent, or we can keep blame shifting to our soul's peril. Please stand with me as we read Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 and 15. Malachi writes, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our fathers, we come again in Jesus' name. We ask that you'll make your word clear to us today. Help us to be those that sing the praises throughout the week that we've just sung, that you've been raised, that you are worthy, that you are awesome, rather than those that accuse you and blaspheme your name. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is the 10th debate 
between the returned exiles to Judah and God, as well as the introduction to the 11th debate, which is the final one of the book. The 10th deal is about false accusations, unsubmissively charged against God, and the 11th is about serving God. What we've seen this attitude that comes out in this 10th debate before. In Malachi 2.17, Malachi said, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, How have we wearied him? By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, Where is the God of justice? The main theme of our text today in Malachi 3 is that skeptics make cynical accusations against God. Skeptics make cynical accusations against God. They did this in 400 B.C. They do this in 2012. In this text, we will see two sets of cynical accusations made against the God of Scriptures. The first cynical accusation, which is false, is Yahweh does not reward those who keep his law and worship him exclusively. Look again at verse 13 and 14. Your words have been harsh, mean-spirited against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it's vain, it's empty, it's fruitless, purposeless to serve or work for God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge, keeping his principles, his instruction or his law, or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of armies, Yahweh? So their charges, the first set, deal with the profitlessness of worship. They say it's fruitless to obey and worship Yahweh, to serve him. We're not getting anything out of it. It's profitless to keep his law. It's profitless every year in the fall to fast on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, or the special called fast that they would have for the droughts and failed crops that they were experiencing as Malachi was speaking to the people in Judah after the exile and their return. What are they seeking in each of these statements? They're seeking profit. Profit. And they've reversed God's ways. The Messiah told us, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. And so not to seek the profit first and then try to squeeze God a little later in in our lives, but to seek God, his kingdom, his righteousness, and then allow him to provide for our needs. These skeptics are ignoring eternity and are living for the now, for the moment only. But the truth is, there is a hell to avoid. The truth is, there is a heaven to gain. And when you, if the devil can get you living in the now, you ignore those two facts. That there's a hell to avoid and there's a heaven to gain. God has already told this group through Malachi that their heartless worship just adds to their sins. Uh, rather than bringing the blessings of the covenant that they so long for. Their so-called worship was worthless because they chose to heartlessly do just external rituals that were done actually in violation of their Bibles and without faith. When you bring your sick cows to God, you only insult him. He desires a relationship first, not external, heartless half-hearted rule-keeping as these people were doing, and as Malachi had reminded them over and over in his messages. It's only when the loyal ones who love God are in the majority does ethnic Israel receive all the blessings of prosperity that are promised 
this nation. Heartfelt biblical worship and good works that flow from faith and flow from gratitude for grace and mercy and salvation do result in blessings for Israel when they are engaged in by the majority of the people. That was promised in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 30 through 32. But along with those blessings were the curses of the covenant for doing exactly what they were doing at this time. Sam Harris in 2006 wrote a book called Letter to a Christian Nation. And in that book, Sam Harris attacks God and the Bible and America. He not only denies the existence of the God of the Bible, but he attacks evangelical Christianity. And he declares it's his goal to see the end of faith, and he intends to stand over the grave of Christianity when it is buried. He started this campaign with writing that book in 2006. Last year, Christopher Hitchens, who had joined Sam in this crusade against God, died of cancer and went to his final reward. And so Sam did bury his friend, who also railed against God, falsely accusing God and denying God. But he has not attended the funeral of the Bible or the church, nor will he. Richard Dawkins is another one of these modern skeptics who are militant atheists with a scorched earth agenda that they will do everything to destroy faith throughout the earth any way possible at all costs. These people and others like them will no doubt take many people to hell with them as they rage against the God of the Bible. Their punishment is going to be extreme, severe for suppressing the truth. Psalm 14 reminds us, the fool has said in his heart, God does not exist. They are corrupt. They do vile deeds. There is no one who does good. But not only does this text have something to say to the atheists and the agnostics and the skeptics, but it also has something to say to those who regularly attend church. J. Vernon McGee once said this. He said, I want to make a very strong statement right now. There are some people who attend church who, very frankly, I think would do better if they would just take a drive on Sundays. Their hearts are not in it. They go to church to criticize. As someone has said, some go to eye the clothes and others go to close their eyes. Some folks go to church because it's a nice place to get a nap. If your heart is not in it, my friend, if you don't love God, if you don't want to praise him and serve him and worship him, it's of no value. And McGee was right. After the three Hebrew boys came out of the furnace, King Nebuchadnezzar decided he did not want anyone in his kingdom to make any negative statements about Yahweh. These guys had been thrown in, and the very guards that put them in the fire died from the fire. And they saw a fourth one in the midst of the fire, and these guys came out, and they didn't even smell like smoke. So Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel 3.29, Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Their house is laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Jude also warns us about the skeptics who have very large mouths and love to use them. Jude writes, And Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied about them. Look, Enoch said, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all 
and to convict them of all their ungodly acts they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against God. These people are discontent grumblers, walking according to their desires. Their mouth utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. God is not to blame for the hard times in Judah, for the drought, or for the pagan Persian government that now gets large amounts of taxes from everyone who's there. The sin of those that live there brought all them circumstances on them. The individuals, each of them in Judah, had loved their sin and their obstinate wills chose the curses of the covenant by rebelling against Yahweh. This little disobedience brings the curse of no rain to Judah, just as Moses had promised them. It is a heart matter, not performance. So it was not just good enough to bring the old sick cow to market or to the temple uh, to say, okay, now I've got God's requirements off my back. Let's get back to life. Now, for us, it's unwise for us to look for someone to blame for everything that goes wrong unless we're looking at the person in the mirror. Some of the problems we face are direct results of bad choices that we as individuals have made. When that is true, we need to man up. We need to woman up and admit we are dealing with cause and effect and we are the cause. But don't stop there. Confess it, forsake it, repent. That's when you find forgiveness and mercy and the grace of God. And if we're not the cause, then it's a trial that God has allowed and one through which God will either carry us or help us in our hour of need. What if we've listened to the skeptics and blame God or deny he even exists? Well, this morning, if you have a watch or if you have a cell phone with an intricate circuit board, I can assure you that there is a cell phone maker. And if you have an intricate, complicated creation, you have a creator. Even Apple can't design a camera that works as good as the human eye. Yet, maybe one day, but yet they can't do it. Uh, We have a very intricate creation. And the creator God is the God of the Bible. Humans are sinners. God is just and he must punish each and every sin because of his absolute awesome holiness. But he also loves his creatures, especially humans, who he made in his own image and the only creatures that have everlasting souls that will never cease to exist. So Jesus solves this dilemma, this dilemma of God's holiness on the one hand and his justice and his love and grace and mercy on the other. Who was Jesus? He was the God-man who always existed, came to earth that first Christmas, conceived of a virgin, born of a virgin, lived a holy life in our place, died in our place on a cruel cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead, ascended to heaven 40 days after that, and is sitting at the right hand of God from which he will both come for his people and he will come to rule the earth for a thousand years. He is the king. And we must, to get the benefit of Jesus' work, we must turn and trust in Jesus alone, surrendering our lives to him. You can move from a skeptic to a saint by repenting of your sins and embracing the Lord Christ by faith. The second cynical accusation that these cynics made was that Yahweh only rewards the proud 
and wicked who test him without consequence. He only rewards the proud and the wicked who test him without consequence. Again, look in your Bibles at verse 15. And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So they claim God, Yahweh, blesses the proud. The Gentiles, the pagans, but especially the Persians who were the ones they had in mind. The ones who received all the taxes that were crippling their little subjugated nation. They claim that he builds them up. These workers of of iniquity are built up by God and he approves of their evil deeds. They claim that God allows the wicked workers to escape any consequences for their sins. Here they are denying God's justice, his holiness, and his awesome power. And they are attacking God with the words of their mouths. These proud, wicked skeptics are ignoring the very mercy of God while he's giving them an opportunity to repent and live by faith. Instead of taking that opportunity to praise him and adore him, they're using their years on earth to attack him. They've chosen the curses of the covenant by their lack of love and loyalty to Yahweh, which includes subjugation and exile by Gentile nations, just as they had experienced. The Babylonians had taken them to captivity. They'd spent 70 years there, and now they're back in the land, and they're starting to act like they did before they were spanked and chastised by God. And so this group of skeptics in Israel start envying the wicked so much that they want to become one with them. They officially switch sides and begin to mock those who worship Yahweh according to his law, according to his precepts, which included not bringing any lame or spotted or diseased animals to God, only bringing the best. So these skeptics had stopped pretending. They've come out of the closet as disobedient blasphemers and haters of God. That was their position all along, but now they stopped the game. They wanted profit, and they wanted reward, and they wanted it now, because that's what they really loved. Money, gain, success, and prosperity was their God, not Yahweh. You see, we worship what we love. Judas loved money more than Jesus, and so he sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. The men in Judah said, look, we fasted. We brought our diseased goats to the temple. God didn't make us rich, and he didn't bless us. We went through the motions. We dotted all the the I's and crossed all the T's that we were interested in doing. But their hearts were not attached to God, the living God. They were attached to the wrong thing. Prosperity, money, success, now, in this life. This was also the Pharisees' problem. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Empty, unfruitful worship never pleases God. Following tradition and man-made rules blocks the whole discipleship process in the local church. A few years back, a friend of mine named Duncan was helped setting up at his church in Spring Hope, North Carolina, for VBS. And Duncan started to move the pastor's chair from the platform. Quickly, one of the deacons told him, 
you can't do that. You're not a pastor. You're not a reverend. Duncan asked him, where is that in the Bible? Well, uh, 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 it's tradition. We don't care about children hearing the gospel half as much as we do maintaining traditions, even those that contradict the Bible. Now, that's not one of ABC's sacred cows, but I can assure you ABC has a herd of sacred cows. They're just a little different than the one I listed. Isaiah said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In Isaiah 5.20, saying God rewards the proud is reversing the truth for the opposite. What these people were looking for was the highest profit on earth now. They wanted their best life now, and they did not care about God or love him or serve him. Playing temple, they said, is not profitable. Let's join the wicked for the greatest profit. The Messiah would one day say to some of their descendants, For what profit is a person if they gain the whole world and lose their own soul? Or what will a person give in exchange for their own soul? Instead of using their words to repent, they use their words to blame God. Jesus said, I tell you, in the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, declared righteous, and by your words, you will be condemned. Matthew twelve thirty six. Falsely accusing God is no small matter for the cynics. When your sin is exposed, do not move to denial. Don't go to pretense or cover up or make a thousand excuses. God has already told this people what their problem was. Covenant unfaithfulness to God and to each other. Heartless and compromised worship, as he had outlined for them cheating God because of their love of money, and denying the love and justice of God were just a few of the problems that Malachi has outlined for this people. We should not imitate these guys. We'll see tonight in verse 16 who the ones in Israel we should imitate. It's the righteous remnant, but not these guys, the skeptics. When trials come to us, we should ask, what does God desire to teach me in this situation? And then humbly listen to God's word and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, these skeptics were right about one thing. There is no gain from pretending or playing church instead of genuinely worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Worshiping God with an engaged heart and worshiping God according to the Bible, which they were not interested in doing at all. Our first task in the discipleship process is to weekly lead people to connect to God through the gospel and through corporate worship. And so we should, as believers, be worshiping at home alone, but long to come and to look into each other's face as we sing the songs of Zion, as we praise our holy God, as we did this morning. Live in the light of eternity, not just for the present. Consider your everlasting gain and not just earthly profit. Live live in the light of eternity. The proud lovers of sin do have a payday someday. And so trust in turn while there's still time, because there will come a time when it is too late. Even Tanya Tucker figured that out. It's a little late to do the right thing now, and that's a fact. 
There comes an hour, there comes a minute, where it's too late to do the right thing. After that point, you've waited too long. Today we've seen two sets of false accusations against God. The way of the transgressor is hard. This is the way of life for those that rebel against God and choose to ignore his word. This is why life was difficult in Judah. This is why the crops had failed. This is why there was no rain. These folks were on the wrong path that leads to the wrong destination. Lottie Moon lived each day in light of eternity. She wrote to the Foreign Mission Board from China on November 4, 1875, and this is what she said. We implore you to send us help. Let not these heathens sink down into eternal death without one opportunity to hear that blessed gospel, which is to you the source of all joy and comfort. The work that constantly presses upon us is greater than time or strength permits us to do. So she encouraged the Foreign Mission Board, continually remind the Southern Baptist churches to give so that you can send more laborers to the harvest. She tells that uh, they were vig- traveling from village to village, uh, sharing the gospel, and they came back by a village and saw a large group of people standing in the street, and they were exhausted. So they went down there to see what it was. And what they found out was is that people who had got saved in the other village had come told them that there was two ladies with the gospel. And so they gathered waiting for them and in their exhaustion. They shared their faith. So it said, sin more. She lived in the light of eternity. That's why during the famine in China, she shared her small food rations with the lost Chinese women around her because she lived in the light of eternity. And it cost her her own life. She went into a coma and died on a ship heading back to the United States. That's not why Adoniram Judson, the first Baptist missionary from North America, could withstand 17 months of torture in a Burmese jail and after his release go right back to preaching the gospel in Burma. They saw the big picture. They saw that it's, it's more than this hour, this minute, right now. There is eternity to live for. These Baptists were not living for earthly profit, gain or reward, but in light of every everlasting gain that would begin in heaven, not on earth. Do not believe these two false cynical accusations against God. Yahweh does not reward those who, who keep his law and worship him exclusively. Is a false statement. The truth is he does give an everlasting reward to those who love and worship him after they come to him on his terms. Not to merit, not performance. That was the big problem here in Malachi. They thought just doing the outward rituals was enough. No, God wanted their hearts. He wanted a relationship. And the obedience displays the relationship, but it follows the relationship. The second false accusation we should not believe is Yahweh only rewards the proud and the wicked who test him without consequence. No, the truth is there is a payday, and it's coming someday. Those whose punishment is not immediate is only delayed. It is not removed. The whole rest of the book of Malachi teaches us this. All sin will be paid for, either on the cross of Christ or in hell in the lake of fire forever and ever. No one sins without consequence. If you have Jesus' transferred righteousness on your account, 
He bore the consequences for you. He paid them, but the consequences were paid. But if you try to get to heaven with your own righteousness, your filthy rags, you will pay for your sins forever and ever in the lake of fire. Christian friend, learn from God's word what God is like and praise him for his awesome greatness rather than falsely accusing him or blaming him when things go wrong. How can you get to know him better? Well, you could commit to attend a weekly Bible study at Adamsville in addition to a worship service. Read the Word each day. And as you get to know the God of the Bible, you'll see his heart, you'll see his perspective, you'll see what he's like, and you'll see that he's not all about rules. He's about a relationship with you that will change you for eternity. The Creator God of the Bible is worthy of our praise and our adoration. Use your voice in praise and adoring Him rather than accusing or complaining. Trust God, love God, and serve and worship Him with gratitude for His amazing salvation. God is a God of grace and mercy and justice and holiness. Come just as you are, and if you're willing to repent of your sins and trust Jesus alone as you deliver from sin, from judgment, submitting to Him as your Lord from this moment on, you will find that relationship is wonderful. You will find that it does pay to serve the living God, but not in the moment, not in the now. The reward is delayed, as we'll see tonight in verse 16. Let's pray. Father, as we come again in Jesus' name at the time of the invitation, we pray that you'll continue to work in our hearts, that we would be people that would use our lips and our mouths to offer a sacrifice of praise to you, that we would glorify you with our words. So change us so that we can do that. Continue to work in our hearts to your glory and to your honor. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. If God's spoken to your heart today and you'd like to sit down with someone with an open Bible to show you how you can embrace this Christ by faith, you can come forward at this time. You can also come to pray. You can do as the Lord leads you as we have the invitation.